The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK and Happy New Year, the first Fulhamish Podcast of 2022 as Christmas was cancelled once again for Fulham. Three postponements in a row. Birmingham at Reading and Swansea mean that Fulham won't play a league game for nearly three weeks. The situation is unprecedented and none of it Fulham's doing for once this year. Makes a change from uh, earlier in 2021 when it very much was Fulham's doing. So in today's podcast, what do we talk about? Well, there's lots of Fulham stuff to get our teeth into. The leftovers are gone, but there's plenty of Fulham nibbles to chew on as we head into the new year. And I'm joined today by Jack Kelly. Good morning. Lydia Campbell. Hi, guys. And Ben Jarman. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year to you all. Okay, well, let's um, just have a bit of a discussion, I think, first over what on earth happened to Fulham this Christmas. Um, Jack, I imagine you'd have had all three fixtures ready, Birmingham at home, Reading away, and then your big trip to Swansea. And one by one, they just got crossed off the calendar, really, didn't they? Uh, It was, at first I felt like Birmingham was like, okay, bit annoying. And then by Reading and definitely Swansea, I was just starting to get a bit annoyed. Mm. Yeah, especially Boxing Day being a big tradition for English football. Um, we've had plenty of fixtures down the years like you do every year. But um, yeah, yeah, Birmingham was annoying. And actually, I didn't even book my train to Swansea because I kind of just knew it was going to get called off the way things were going and uh, kept my powder dry. I was quite happy about that because it's an expensive train to get. It's quite a long way. But um, the Reading one was frustrating because just wanted to go to a game basically and it was getting to that point where I was like oh it's been ages now come on we lost to Sheffield United we haven't won since like 20th of November so yeah it, it, it was going to be good to get back especially to well not even because Madstad is is not a good place to go so slightly relieved that we didn't have to go to the Madstad but also slightly annoyed that we didn't get to play any any football over the festive period a really weird era and like period for Fulham over the last few weeks where you've sort of got FOMO because everyone else is playing around you, picking up points and we're now down to third in the table and we can't really do anything about it. We're just sitting here waiting for the next game. And yeah, just annoying that we can't play. Even Sky last night on the darts said that Fulham were playing a Swansea tomorrow. Well, that's definitely not happening. <laughs> Did um, they actually? Yeah, it was, <laughs> they Someone didn't update it. <laughs> so it was, Amazing. Yeah, unbelievable really. But um, yeah, very frustrating and, and we're just sort of sitting here waiting and hopefully a trip to Ashton Gate on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, Lydia, it was, I mean, it's been an unprecedented time for football generally. I think there was over 100 postponements in the EFL alone. That's excluding the Premier League. Um, At the moment, it looks like the FA Cup game against Bristol City is happening. And I think the FA Cup has a much uh, higher threshold for what you need for a postponement because there's such little flexibility in the FA Cup. You've got to get the games played in order. And and I think last year they said to Derby and Villa in particular cases, well, if you haven't got any players and play, literally play the kids, unlike the EFL who seem to not fully buy the play the kids rule. Did you feel like a couple of the teams we were facing it's hard to know and it's hard to accuse because none of us know the facts and never will because it's basically medical confidentiality. But from a distance, it felt like Reading in particular were bending the rules to suit their own advantage. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels that way with um, with a number of clubs across the football and pyramid, doesn't it? Um, you know, whenever you have an announcement that says injuries and COVID recovery, you're thinking... Mm, alarm bells are ringing and yeah as you say we we won't we will probably never know um who who had COVID and who didn't um but you know it I, I don't know if the football authorities have handled it all that well um and you know because there seems to be so many really late call-offs as well across the pyramid um I I do think there's probably teams have 
milked it a little bit when it came to um, player injuries as well. Um, and one thing that that is interesting is the EFL obviously cancelling their match day um, COVID tests um, to try mm. and stop these cancellations happening so late. Because obviously with Omicron, you are, you're getting new cases every day. Um, so they're trying to prevent a load of new cases happening on match day, um, saying that it, it's sufficient for the test to happen the day before. Um, bit of a risk maybe, but also it does at least allow football to actually happen. Um, but yeah, you know, I think we're all just going to have to ride the storm a little bit on this one in society and and football. Yeah, I mean, Ben, it will be pretty much three weeks without a match for Fulham. It'll be three weeks and one day without a league game before we face Reading on the 11th of January. Uh, Birmingham's been moved to the 18th of January. There's a lot of games coming up in a in a pretty short window. Um, what do you feel about the kind of the league advantage now? We are down to third. Bournemouth have won the games that they needed to win whilst we've been off. Um, I like to stay positive, but I'd much rather be in Bournemouth's camp right now, even though if we did win all our matches, we'd go above them. It does feel like they have the advantage now just because they've got those points on the board and we've got a lot of work to do in order to even just get our heads just above them again. I think this, cha- this the championship is all about rhythm, isn't it? And Fulham are definitely out of rhythm at the moment in comparison to all of our immediate um, right, promotion rivals. Obviously, as you said, we've had just over th- three weeks off. Uh, and th- to be fair, we were struggling beforehand. So I think that the, the break that we've had can either go one of two ways. <clears throat> and that firstly, it enables us to get players back fit, um, get them sort of like all the little niggling injuries they may have been playing through out of their system. And then it enables us to try and have a look at that at a little bit of a deeper level on the on the training pitch as well, and making sure that we are having a plan B available for our for our games. Um, also making sure that the players know what their roles are because I think I feel like we came into Christmas as a massive steaming pile of mediocrity for the most part. And this this break gives us a chance to really rest and reset. I think that that's the positive for Fulham. But as I say, one of the negatives is that you're you're coming into a, a big run of games where you're massively out of rhythm in comparison to the rest of the league. And I think that this is going to be a massive test of Marco Silva's metal because he's not one for rotating the squad that much. Um, and I think that's probably one of the only drawbacks that I have from him and his opening sort of six to nine months as tenure as Fulham boss is that he hasn't rotated the squad, I think, as much as some of the fan base would have liked him to. I think there's a certain element that you could probably argue is down to injury and sometimes down to COVID, of course, but he doesn't tend to shy, uh, to to move too much away from the 15 or 16 players that have got his confidence. Um, and when he does, it seems to be in very extreme circumstances. So it'd be nice to see how he deals with having all these seven or eight games in the space of a month. Uh, and yeah, I, I do agree with you. It's sort of like Bournemouth are, are have got a bit of an advantage here, but you know, it's, it's three games that we're very capable of winning uh, to get back level with them. And then obviously there are many opportunities to go above them. Yeah, Jack, what do you feel about the time that Fulham will have had to, I guess, re-prepare for the second half of the season? Oh, well, we've basically got three and a half months to play half a season of football now. If the, if the league ends when it's supposed to in, in, in early May, it's not like other clubs where they'll have been completely disrupted, training will have been cancelled for weeks. For the most part, we think Fulham avoided any cases of COVID or definitely we've avoided a significant amount. So this would have been proper training time, a a real mid season break, but we have seen cases in like the premier league where actually the teams that have had games every two days have done better than teams that had a two week break. So it's not a given that Fulham are going to come out of this all guns blazing in a weird way. Maybe good that we have this FA cup game as a kind of, almost like it's going to be like a pre-season friendly as far as the club treats it, surely. Yeah, it's just going to be getting back into that sort of routine of playing an actual football match. I think training every day uh, is actually an advantage because we can work on things, we can get patterns of play back uh, back into training. And I think that there's a chance that 
yes, the, the fixtures are extremely congested and it could could be problematic, but it's not too bad. I mean, you've got Saturday midweek, Saturday midweek, which isn't unheard of in the championship. It's just the fact that in this month of January, there wasn't actually scheduled to be any midweek fixtures. And it just so happens we've got two. Um, it's not a schedule that's unheard of. So I think it's it's manageable. And it's just about now going into that Bristol City game, getting back into, like Ben says, the rhythm of things and just trying to at least gather some sort of momentum because yeah, Bournemouth were meant to play today and, and their game against Peterborough is off. West Brom in this period have been pretty below par, lost to a Derby team who are fighting for their lives and are basically already relegated and could pull off a, a great escape. And West Brom getting two red cards yesterday, that's uh, Alex Moe out for three games, Sam Johnson out for three games. And if we can just get into, like Ben said again, the rhythm and get those three points here and there and and start moving up towards the top two again or, or getting into the top two again and picking off these teams. These are winnable games of, of football. Very, very winnable. And I know it's frustrating because we haven't won since, you know, late November and we've really been on a bad run of form in, in the championship. But the players are good enough. We're really good. Um, and Seri is the only player that's obviously not going to be involved due to AFCON. And we'll see maybe even if the January transfer window, we can we can pick up a player or two as well. I mean, Lydia, the, how Marco, I think, like deals with this Bristol City game is really interesting because on one hand, we don't need a cup run. We don't need more games. <laughs> but then also, given the fact that Fulham haven't won since mid-late November, as, as Jack pointed out, players need confidence. I feel like Mitro needs a goal just to... Mitro's always been a streaky player. Fulham are a streaky team. Every, Nearly every game we've won this season has been on a streak of runs. Um, and you want players to get fitness, but you've also then got a game on the Tuesday against Reading. That's a really tough one to call. It's not quite play the kids because you do need some match sharpness, but it's also you want to give people a rest. So, And do you want to win it? Yes, because we want to win every game and also we need confidence, but also we don't need another match. So I genuinely don't know. I, I'm quite glad I'm not Marco Silva on this one, put it that way. Well, look, do you know what? You have to look at it from a player's perspective, I think. Um, and I reckon players will, having to sit out the festive season, yeah, don't get me wrong, they maybe need a little, little bit of a break. But having three games called off, I mean, those players having to go to training every day, knowing your next league game isn't until, what, the 11th of January? I yep. mean, that is so dull for players. They don't want that. Players don't want that. Yes, they might need a little bit of a break, but they don't want to be training endlessly without playing matches. Um, that's the nature of, of a sportsman. Um, a sports ma- man or woman, you don't want to be training e- endlessly. So I would say a lot of these players will be thinking, actually, I'd quite like a run out on, on Saturday in the FA Cup. Yet you can treat it sort of like a pre-season game in the sense you can rotate quite a bit um, throughout the match. Um, but to be honest, I would say that at least half of our starting 11 planned for um, Tuesday night against Reading um, should be playing on on Saturday um yeah get give some of the kids a go as well but to be honest I I would say a lot of these players will be absolutely gunning for a run out um I don't think they need to be rested ahead of Tuesday night um in the sense how much much more rest can you get (laughs) (laughs) in the sense we've just had a big rest um but I, I think you manage it in the way you would any other time it's the FA Cup you go for a mixture I think that I think that's the early FA Cup you go for a mixture of of players and you're happy you don't wait until the 70th minute to rotate in the match as well maybe maybe make changes at halftime that kind of thing give players um, half a game where where they need but I would say these players will all want to play because they've been starved of competitive action for you know nearly a month and they will hate that absolutely hate that I mean Ben the worst result here could be um, extra time there's no replays in the third and fourth round this year because they wanted to alleviate some of the pressure on the league so that we could have rescheduled games and you've seen that the Birmingham game has gone in where an FA Cup third round replay could have happened 
thank the Lord there are no replays because genuinely there was a prospect of playing Bristol City three times in a row. And look, I've got nothing against Bristol City, but that would have been the most boring after the three weeks you'd have had. And then we just play Bristol City over and over again. It's like, please give me something different. Um, we'll be able to make five subs, but I guess with Reading looming on the Tuesday, maybe extra time isn't quite what we want. But then again, five subs is a lot of subs to to be able to make. Five subs is a lot of subs to make. You're right, Sammy. And I think extra time is probably something we definitely don't want. I mean, when you have players that have been off for that long, and as Lid said, they've been training for non-stop for the best part of three and a half, four weeks, to then get them back into extra time at game level could actually be quite dangerous in terms of picking up injuries that a lot of players just simply don't want. I'd also be really surprised if if there's an appetite for Fulham to want to go through in this game. I mean, it, I think Jack said it, you kind of want to treat it almost as a pre-season friendly and just get players back up to speed and back in to those game time scenarios where they're understanding what you should do in certain situations and getting back up to speed and almost just shaking that rust off. To be fair, this game even before the cancellations in my mind kind of felt like a throwaway because the the focus wholly this year should be on the league. We shouldn't be trying to go on big cup runs or, you know, trying to <clears throat> upset favourites. I think the thing for Fulham is this year should be focused wholly on the league, try and get promotion done as quickly as possible to set ourselves up for hopefully a good strategy going into the, the third Premier League season in six. And, hopefully avoiding a further relegation in six. You know what I mean? Like I feel like this game has so many positives and that we can get players back fit. We can rotate as much as we can, obviously with the five subs. But it's kind of one that if we lose, myself personally, I'm not too bothered. I couldn't really care less. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to just get your thoughts on, Ben, was... John McElserry will now be at AFCON. Uh, he won't be available for the cup game, which means that it's a chance for maybe us to get a first glance of what we're going to see in the middle. Do you think it's a simple case of Kearney coming in and replacing Seri? Do you think we could see some Nathaniel Chalabar? Do you think we could see anything else slightly more um, revolutionary? than that for, from Marco Silva. It'd be very interesting to see how we adapt without Seri for, for this month. But then again, the transition had already kind of started because Kearney had been working his way back into the team. Yeah, completely. I, I, I had a really good listen to yourself and Jack on the Thursday Club podcast a couple of weeks ago whilst I was doing a very long drive up to Wolverhampton for Christmas. Uh, and I, I did, I really enjoyed the discussion between you three um, where Jack was sort of saying that Losing, losing Seri and swapping Seri and Harrison Reed isn't just as simple as that. It's not just a quick switch and you expect the whole balance of the team to go back to normal. Um, I, I kind of do agree with Jack in that Seri is going to be a huge miss for us when AFCON happens because he is that metronome at the bottom of the midfield. My problem with Seri over the past six weeks is that he's lacked any sort of intensity to drive the play forward at times. And he's really lacked any sort of incisiveness. And then again, decisiveness in in his decision making and I think too often that with Seri whether this is because of the influence of Marco Silva or simply himself is that at times he really lacks that intensity to drive us forward when he should be the real main creative hub from deep lying positions I think that when he goes we'll see a different Fulham because you'll get Tom Kearney in there and one thing that Kearney's great at doing is receiving the ball on a half turn and then driving us forward and we've seen that at Peterborough countless times. We, every time we've seen him come on the pitch, he gives us really good impetus to get the ball forward and sort of drive into spaces that you don't get with Seri. It would be nice to see a sort of switch between him and Reed, where you have Reed sort of sitting at the bottom of the, of the metronome as it was in that sixth position. And then you have Tom Kearney a little bit further forward with a bit of freedom of expression to go and um, just sort of make things happen. Um, one thing... You quickly touched on Chalabar. It'd be nice to see him back, but I haven't been overly impressed with him throughout his tenure as a Fulham player. I think he's been a bit give and take at times. When he came, when he started at Bristol City, I thought he didn't offer it anywhere near enough. And I think since then, we've only seen him a handful of times, obviously due to injury. But when he has been on the pitch, he almost looks like a player that's been playing within himself. And that's some of the reviews that had come from the Watford fans when we signed him, that he was he's a great player. He has all the potential to go far. But ultimately, because he's had so many injuries over the past few years, 
there's almost this Michael Owen-esque um, management of oneself where he's trying not to get injured again. So he almost is playing with sort of the handbrake on. And I also feel that's similar for Josh Onoma, um, who had a lot of injuries at quite a young age and now looks like he's trying not to get injured again. I don't know if any of the other guys agree with this. I feel like Josh Onoma plays, he only ever really plays to maybe 90%. So maybe that is because he's trying to, he, he, he's been so injury plagued in the past that maybe it is a bit, he's maybe a little bit um, cautious. There's been some games where he's been brilliant and there's been other games where he, you just look like he's nearly stepping out of a tackle or he's he's not really wanting to go into a 50-50 or when he's been driving forward, he's he sort of had the chance to to really, really go for it, but he slowed the game down. Um, I'm a little bit worried about the mixture of outside Tom Kearney what we have in to replace Siri. That that's kind of my approach on it. Like some of those players are, are fine coming in maybe for the last twenty minutes of a match, but can we start with any of them? And the worry is with Tom is that um we have you know, we have to wrap him up in in, in, in cotton wool in case he gets injured again. And it's been fine when there's been both Siri and Kearney available, but there isn't for, you know, Depends how far um Siri goes in that in in Afcon, but um I I am a little bit worried about the dynamic there about our depth in in those positions. Yeah, five games in two weeks for Tom Kearney's knee must be um, sending his uh, doctor into some kind of tailspin of like no, don't do it, Tom, <laughs> save yourself. Um, into some kind of tailspin of like, no, don't do it, Tom, <laughs> save yourself. Um, I mean, the postponements potentially can keep on coming for Fulham. Um, the, the kind of fixture permutations and combinations are, are pretty nuts. So first of all, there's any progression to the fourth round of the FA Cup by either ourselves or Middlesbrough. I think Middlesbrough have Mansfield in the third round. So, I mean, screams banana skin but also you'd imagine one of us will get through to the fourth round with, with those fixtures it means that that Middlesbrough game um, will probably be moved to a midweek which um, I mean that's an arduous enough journey on a Saturday uh, but Middlesbrough midweek would be would definitely uh, be a tough trip um, and then this Blackpool game on the 29th also potentially could be postponed as well because I did some digging into this Peter Rutzler gave me the answer if um, if teams have three or more players on international duty, we can request a postponement, apparently. We'll have three in Anthony Robinson, Michael Hector and Bobby Decker Dover-Reed because they'll be playing for either USA or Jamaica. And we might have Seri. So more games round the corner. The Swansea game needs to be rescheduled somewhere. Maybe it'll be moved to that FA Cup weekend if if both ourselves and Swansea manage to get knocked out. But yeah, there's definitely still some uh, fixtures to be decided for Fulham. It's uh, The deck of cards is not fully landed yet from being tossed up in the air. All right, uh, we're going to take a break there and afterwards we're going to get into some of your questions. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here. I'm joined by Jack Kelly. Hello. Lilia Campbell. Hi, guys. And Ben Jarman. Hello, Samuel. All right. We've got lots of questions for the rest of today's podcast. Um, the email account is honestly overflowing. I'm going to have to split them over two different podcasts in order to get to as many of the emails as I can that have been filling up over Christmas while we've not been doing podcasts. We've also got some Twitter questions, which is where we're going to start. And the first one from Elizabeth, who says, how would you rate Silver's tenure so far? She says, I'm generally very positive, but I feel like with this squad, we should have been further ahead at the top. Jack, I'll start with you. Do you want to give it a school grade rating? Uh, a, to, a to U? Or, or you could give it like GCSEs now, where they do it zero to nine, which I yeah. still haven't managed to get my head around. Not nine is that. good. Now, nine is good, apparently. Yeah, I've yeah, my brothers were in that sort of... Yeah, numbers sort of thing, but um, I'll, I'll give it an A minus because okay, positive. We've had a very good season. I've uh, scored fifty-one goals, conceded nineteen in twenty-three games, and we've had one blip this season, and that's um, 
or, or a run of fixtures where it hasn't quite gone, gone our way, which has basically been right now uh, or in the last few weeks. And I think there's, there's scope to pick it up and basically get back to winning ways and get back to being one of the most dominant teams in the league. We have the players, we have the manager. And in terms of Marco Silva himself, this is a guy who came in knowing he'd failed at Premier League level with Watford, Hull, albeit they almost stayed up, and Everton, of course, who, well, uh, I mean, Everton right now, but we won't get into it. But um, So I think, I think this is his chance to prove himself that he can manage at a top level. And it's just whether we can get ourselves over the line. And what's really been puzzling me is that the fact that we haven't been playing for the last few weeks has really put some doubts into... Not, I'm, I'm sure not only just my mind, but a lot of people's minds about can we actually go up this year? And I think it's just down to the fact that we haven't won in a while and people have missed that winning feeling and missed us playing that really good attacking style of football. And that really is, I mean, this sounds naive as hell, but when we went up under Parker, I was like, I genuinely feel like Parker could keep us up. Yeah, I think. And, and then we sort of, you know, and obviously we didn't. But under Silva with these players and I think with the squad that we've got, if we go up and we add two or three, and I'm not talking spending millions, I'm talking two or three or four max. I genuinely think with the attacking intent that we have when we attack, we can score goals and we can stay up. And that's just down to the fact that whoever goes up with us, I think will be extremely, you know, up against it. You know, the Premier League level is, is going to be extremely high again next year. And I just think some of the teams who are going to stay up this season in the Premier League just aren't that good. I think Leeds, I think if Burnley get out of it, they're not good. Watford, they're not that great. I think Norwich and Newcastle are gone. And I know I've sort of gone off on a bit of a tangent here about Marco Silva. So I think Marco Silva has the potential. And if he keeps us up, then he's got that sort of pedigree back of what he, you know, his potential a few years ago. And if he keeps this Fulham team up, and obviously he has to get us up in the first place, I think that will bode very well for him. Uh, Miss Campbell, what's your grade? Um, I'm going to be slightly less positive and go for a B plus. I'm going to go for a B plus as well, which uh, I think is slightly below where the BBC put the, him uh, in one of their articles. And their summarisation was, Fulham haven't had good results recently, but they'll be okay in the other side of Christmas and they'll beat loads of teams. That's literally like their, their one paragraph. I know, I saw this. That was you, wasn't it, Sammy? No, I saw this bloody article. Every um, the analysis is crap. I mean, I know two of you out here work for the BBC, but that is terrible. No, every um, report by every club had someone who I know is like lead commentator for that club, and nothing against the guy that right wrote the Fulham one, but it was just, uh, you literally just had to find him. He was a Spurs fan. It's rubbish. I didn't really understand it. It was like, well, why? surely there's someone you could have found that knew something about Fulham season that could have given a slightly better report. Anyway, um, let's come on to next question from PK, who says, with West Brom slipping up and Blackburn slash QPR creeping up, who do you think is our biggest threat to automatic promotion? Obviously, Lydia, Blackburn have been absolutely lying um Brereton Diaz I think is only a goal behind Mitrovic now if it's not a goal it's two and they finally had their winning run curtailed yesterday after they drew 0-0 with Huddersfield which was a bit of a relief I think if they won yesterday I was starting to get seriously worried about Blackburn as uh, as the question alluded to QPR have been on a decent run of form West Brom have really just seen dead set on not challenging for automatic promotion, the amount of chances they've missed. So yeah, how do you see the overall picture? And of course, Bournemouth uh, are there and flying and now four points ahead of us, albeit two games more. Um, Yeah, so I think Bournemouth are still going to be in that automatic promotion picture come the end of the season. I think, um, I don't like to say it, but I think... um, Parker is doing fine with them. Do you know what I mean? I think he, he has a decent squad to work with. Okay, he has a decent squad to work with. I think that I think that's it. Um, he does. You know, Parker Ball is well and truly there. Um, which is is pretty dull. But um, I think Blackburn are the team to watch in terms of um possibly being in that picture as well. And I think you know the reason for that is because they have a goal scorer. Um, 
yes, QPR have have guys who can um, stick the ball in the back of the net, but Diaz has been the the standout performer um, outside of Solanke and Mitrovic. Um, and I think that's what you need. I think you need a goal scorer. And I don't think the other teams in and around there have someone who is consistently going to, going to, um, to put the ball away. Um, it just depends on whether they can keep him in this window. I know there's been quite a bit of interest. Um, I think there's been a bit from some Premier League sides as well. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. And Tony Mowbray was um, very clear the other day he was asked about it in an interview and he just said look I'm not going to stand um, in front of any player who receives a good offer um, so that's interesting that he's already kind of saying that um, rather than just being like oh no he's not, he's not for sale no chance he's very honest about it he says look if a really good offer comes in and a player wants to go who am I to stand in his way so that will be interesting that that will define their season if they can keep him um, so I would be a little bit worried about about um, about Blackburn. But yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, on that subject, one bit of transfer tidbit that has been slowly bubbling around over Christmas has been our very own Alexander Mitrovic being linked to Juventus. I saw Graham Bailey um, tweeting it out. I'd also heard murmurings before that came out that, that that was something that is on the cards. It looks like they've kind of inquired into Mitrovic. And the obvious replacement for Mitrovic, Ben, if he was to go, is Brereton Diaz. And if we got a load of money for Mitrovic, there's no doubt that we could afford whatever we needed to pay for Brereton Diaz. And you'd imagine we'd be of interest to him, really. I mean, we're much more likely to go to the Premier League than Blackburn with all respect. And I could be looked made to look very silly in six months' time when they go up at our expense. But if you analyse it from a bit more of a uh, kind of non-passionate point of view, certainly you would argue that's a pretty safe statement to make. What do you make of the rumours? Do you kind of think there's any credence in them? Can you really see Mitrovic leaving in January? No, I can't. I think it's most likely just agent talk. And I can't see that the club would let him go in January. It would just be shooting yourself in the foot for no apparent reason. There's no guarantee that if you signed Brereton Diaz for a good chunk of whatever you sold Mitrovic for, it'd come in and score as many goals as he is in Blackburn anyway. So I think, I don't know why you would, why you would risk that having the, you know, giving away the best striker in a championship to sign someone who, you know, for quite a lot of money might not go the same way that he is now. I think we've seen this with clubs before, especially when they get to sort of Premier League level, that they sell one striker and they get another one in, the other striker they sign for a lot of money doesn't really do too much. So if I were Fulham, I, I wouldn't sell Mitrovic. I think he's such a in, intrinsic part to what we're trying to do at this club. And Silva's come in and spoken about him almost in every single press conference about how he wants to use Mitrovic, how he's the focal point of his attack and how he can get the best out of him. And and to be honest, I think other than, I, I think he's probably been the coach that's got the best out of Mitrovic so far, you know, judging by all of the, all of the managers that we've had over the past sort of four or five years, I think Silva's finally managed to get him working in a, in a fluid formation that revolves around Mitrovic rather than him just being a part of another sort of tactical innovation. But yeah, I don't see why we'd sell him. Um, as much as I'd lo- love to see the face of Pepsi in South America at the cottage, just selling bucket loads of shirts and, you know, like all of our Instagram feed being full up with chili flags and random Spanish comments. Like, oh, I'd love that. It'd be like um, when we signed uh, Rafik Halish all over again, but instead of the comments being uh, Algerian or whatever they are, they would be Spanish. So I'm you would be it. in your element if we signed, if Ferris and Diaz banging in goals for Fulham, Ben. Ferris and this- Diaz signed for us. I would get on FulhamFC.com forward slash shop immediately. And get a it would be your ultimate wheelhouse if Ben Jarman <laughs> would get to got to watch Brereton and Diaz banging in goals every week. But look, I still love Mitro. I mean, Jack, do you kind of see anything in it? As much as 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 fits go, Mitrovic at Juventus does feel like it doesn't fit for me. No, no, it doesn't fit at all for me. It doesn't. Like, I more mean maybe the stature of the I, I, look. I more mean the stature of the club, right, a club that's maybe. Club. 
not at its, at, you know, has obviously struggled in recent years. Mitrovic could go in there and pretty much get guaranteed goals in, in, in Syria. That would be, that's why I could see it working from that point of view. I don't know necessarily claims know enough about Juventus, but yeah, Jack, what did you think of the, uh, of the rumors and, and can you see any, any truth in them? No, absolutely not. I heard that Juventus are in some sort of financial problems slash getting investigated into some yeah, they are. stuff. So I don't think they have, they're in a position where they can sign Alexandra Mitrovic. And I don't think Mitrovic is going to, yes, Juventus are a big club and whatever, they're in the Champions League, whatever, but, or yeah, but um, I don't think, I think Mitrovic is, is on a right path here at Fulham. He's under a, a manager and Marco Silva has put his arm around him and gone, look, you're my main man. You had a terrible season last season because someone decided to completely shaft him. Mitrovic is a, a, a way better striker than Dominic Solanke. I, I will literally, I will literally say that until the cows come home. But you're going to die on that hill. Yes, I will, and I will pass away on that hill definitely. Um, <laughs> I, think, I think that um, Mitrovic is going nowhere but perhaps the Premier League if Fulham were to get there um, come May. Um, in terms of transfers as a whole, I'd be very surprised if we dipped into the market too heavily. Um, I think there'll be a lot of perhaps outgoings as opposed to incomings. Um, a lot of people are, are, are clamoring for a new left back. Um, and, and the fact that Robinson's been of interest to West Ham, people are saying get back Ryan Fredericks or get in Arthur Masuaku. Um, interesting. Very interesting, I'm sure. I'm sure because we are Fulham, we'll be sat here on deadline day very giddy at the uh, at the chance of signing Perry and G from Cardiff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I can't wait to it. Uh, Jan- January 31st, it's my 30th birthday and I'll be sat here refreshing um, <laughs> the transfer deadline day as we sign some, um, some striker from a... Norway on loan. Have our Norvite Mark II. Um, oh, let's uh, come on to another question. Oh, actually, this was not so much a question, but just a, a nice bit of intel from uh, Paul Cooper, friend of the pod, who just said, been talking to a striker from another championship club, and he said we would win it, which is just the kind of intel that I love to hear from no, Paul. Who, so. who are we to argue with the king of comedy? Paul Cooper, you know. Well, so. no, and his and his ITK source, another championship striker, who has said one hundred percent, we're winning it. So that was definitely some, Dominic Solanke who definitely said that. But do, do you, what do you think? Paul Cooper's friends with Dominic Solanke? It wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. I, I would love to know. It's got to be someone. It's got to be someone in the West Country, isn't it? Yeah, that's what I thought. Is it? It must be like Bristol City or Andy Vyman. Clearly. We're talking to Chris Martin. <laughs> oh, right. Can, Could we, be Chris can we get him on and ask him? I, I want to know. Yeah, I want to know who that championship on, striker is. DM me. I want to find out. <laughs> um, final question in this section from Richard Bamber, who says, did you all have a good Christmas? And did at Jack Kelly FFC have two dinners? So the first part of the question, Jack, did you have two dinners? Sort of. Um, Brilliant. Sorry. How can you sort of have two dinners? So basically what this happened... Because Jack Kelly has two meal deals. This is this is why he's asked mm. this this question. I did have two meal deals yesterday. Very, very nice. Um, basically, my brother... Um, my, my house was sort of riddled with COVID over Christmas. And um, my brother and his girlfriend went up to um, the North for, um, for to spend actual Christmas Day with, with her family. So we basically sort of put on hold the, the turkey dinner till the 27th just for the fact that hopefully my mum would have tested nog- tested negative <laughs> tested negative <laughs> said too much um, <laughs> um, too much I'm always testing negative at Christmas <laughs> anyway um, yeah so um, and then they came back on the 27th so on the 25th we had beef wellington and on the 27th we had a turkey dinner so like your, your classic whatever with trimmings it was a lot of food um, which was which was very fun, and now I'm just munching on some sweets at twenty past eleven in the morning. Um, but you didn't have two dinners on the same day, just to clarify. No, but but I usually do. So like, I'll have the turkey, and then a couple of hours later, I'll have like a turkey sandwich or like two turkey. Oh, right, sandwiches. that's not two dinners. That's having some turkey leftovers on the evening. That's not two dinners. Yeah, that's that's two just... 
meal. No, everyone has that. That's nothing special. You lose every two week. meal deals. Is, two meal deals is weird. Having some turkey leftovers after your turkey dinner is very much not. Yeah. Um, and then the second part of the question, Lydia, did you have a good Christmas? I had a lovely Christmas back in Belfast, which was great. Um, yeah, we we didn't have any COVID, which was lovely, but good. nice. Uh, that's a, a miracle, I think, by uh, by today's standards, but. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was very nice. Nice to be home. Um, missed Fulham, but um, it was very nice to be home. You didn't miss much. <laughs> well, yes, I did, didn't miss much. <laughs> um, and Ben, did you have a nice Christmas? Yes, I had a, a really nice Christmas, thank you. Uh, my lungs were riddled with COVID in the run-up to Christmas, and I got out on Christmas Eve. So, yeah, I was, was able to have one day of freedom before the Christmas festivities, and then... Um, Went up to Wolves uh, with my girlfriend for a couple of days to see all her family and friends. Lovely place up there. Lovely part of the world. Um, Would go back 10 out of 10. Great. Okay. Well, we'll take a break there. We've got a few emails before we finish the pod. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy here with Jack, Lydia and Ben. As promised, some emails. As I mentioned earlier, I have no... (laughs) We would be here until tomorrow if I read all the emails. So I'm going to spread them out over the next few podcasts. There's plenty of podding to get through and it's still not that many games um, for at least a week or so. So there's plenty of space to, to read some emails. This one from Steve Wells. I'm going to paraphrase some of this email because it's quite long. But he starts off by saying, I don't know how much of this news has made its way to England, but Shade Khan has been all over the sporting news here in the States and it hasn't been good. The news doesn't involve Fulham. It's all about the ongoing dumpster fire that has been the Jacksonville Jaguars NFL season. For people that aren't familiar with the NFL, much of the debacle may seem confusing. I'll spare you the dry dissertation on the structure of American football coaching. The best way to explain this mess is that when Shade Khan hired Urban Meyer to coach the Jags, he hired the NFL version of Felix McGath. Actually, Meyer was worse than McGath. He's kind of like Felix McGath cubed. It should be noted that this dumpster fire was burning brightly in October and Khan didn't swing the axe until December the 15th. He then goes on to say that it's been a public relations disaster. Only kind of outbreaks of COVID in the NFL has diminished the heat. And Khan has been pilloried for allowing this to go on as long as it has. There's been a lot of writing about how consistently bad the Jaguars are under Khan's ownership. So then he kind of tries to look at it, what it means from a Fulham perspective. Uh, and he has some thoughts about saying how Khan's horrific record of personal hires in both sports. Um, and he says that that the appointment of Marco Silva as our gaffer is a case of a blind squirrel finding an acorn rather than any acumen on Shade Khan's part. Uh, he goes on to say, I'm not sure how much of Fulhamish's time you can spend dedicated to something on the NFL, but he would be interested in finding out how Shade Khan has managed to find two Felix McGaths in two different sports on two different continents. Um, it is an interesting one. I had noted that the Jaguars have looked terrible this season and they have been terrible for a while but I don't really understand NFL and I just don't know Ben and Lydia and given that you two do understand your NFL I thought you guys would be perfect to answer this question it's been sitting in the inbox for a couple of weeks is there any kind of cause for concern from a Fulham perspective at how badly this situation seems to have been managed in America or is it just a case of two different sports you can't compare them etc etc Okay, so I'm, I'll caveat this by saying I'm not a massive NFL expert. I do watch it fairly regularly. Um, you watch Red Zone every Sunday? I, I watched Red Zone all of Sunday last night because I was in my fantasy Super Bowl game, which I've somehow managed to turn a dumpster fire of a season into a playoff run. So that's good. At least I'm better than the Jags. Um, but what I do know is from this and the Around the NFL podcast is that Basically, the Jags, ever since Shahid Khan took over, have been perennially on a losing on a losing run of seasons whereby they've lost more than 10 games in every single season aside from one where they were... If you're a Jacksonville fan, you're probably going to say they play away from going to the Super Bowl uh, and you've got Tom Brady big time. Um, but I think the main thing that sticks out here is that Urban Meyer was has a reputation in college football of being one of the best coaches there, but also on the flip side to that, also has a reputation of causing utter chaos. I think one of his Florida Gators teams 
from back in the early 2000s, I think I read somewhere that it was 53 men on the roster and since then 48 or somewhere in the 40s have gone on to have a criminal conviction or some sort of run-in with the law since then. So you can kind of guess what kind of manager or or coach, uh, depending on what vernacular you want to use here, Urban Meyer is and what his teams are like. And I think that we saw this in Jacksonville where he was threatening to hire and fire coaches at the drop of a hat. The players um, weren't exactly on the same hymn sheet as Urban Meyer. Um, And one thing that's came out recently is that the Jaguars have a GM in place, a guy called Trent Balke, who... Uh, if I've pronounced that wrong, my apologies, who seems to have sort of sweet-talked his way into the ear of Shahid Khan and is now one of the most powerful men in the whole of organisations. But one thing about Trent Balke is that no one in the NFL seems to respect him. And this is what is throwing uh, Jacksonville off course at the moment because they are looking for a new head coach uh, and no one wants to work for this GM. Uh, It sounds like he's the kind of guy that basically just loves himself Uh, and is turning off a lot of experienced heads other than one guy called Bill O'Brien who basically ran the Houston Texans into the ground in about 18 months at the end of his tenure there. So I I feel like Jacksonville are one of these organisations where you have a super rich owner that is constantly being sweet-talked by uh, people that basically sell snake oil every single year. Um, and Liz, feel free to chime in here because I know you, you follow the Jags a lot closer than I do because I'm purely because I'm a Packers fan and I think you are an actual Jags fan yourself. But from an outsider looking in, it seems like on NFL at least that Shard gets sweet talked, as I said, by people that sell snake oil almost on a biannual basis. And that means that Jacksonville are in this constant cycle of failure because they just can't figure out the path they want to go on. They they leap from one coach to the next, one GM to the next, one side of play to the next. Whereas I think if you look at this from a Fulham point of view, our playing styles don't seem to widely fluctuate too much. And I think that that's why when you sort of add silver to the squad we already have, that it's a natural fit. But um, yeah, Lids, please, <laughs> please feel free to take this monologue on to more interesting places from a Jags fan. Well, I think... I think we need to remember that they are very different sports. So I'm not exactly sure about um, how we can, you know, there's not that many similarities um, in terms of the sports themselves. But what I would say is that Shad seems to make decisions based on emotion um, a lot. And he's done that with Fulham and he's done that with the Jags. And that has ultimately led to failures throughout um, for Fulham um, since he 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 took over, and for the Jags, well, yes, since he took over there as well. Um, I've only really followed the Jags over the past four or five years, so I can't really speak um, for before that. But in that time, um, he seems to be quite swayed. By individuals, I think so. So Trent Bulka is one of the issues at the minute in in the Jags franchise. Who is the general manager? I would sort of um, Trent Bulka is basically re- what Rasputin is to the Russian czars back in before the revolution, right? <laughs> yeah, and he's and, <laughs> and and I think in terms of the of of a, of how you know sport sporting clubs are put together, it, it's sort of like a director of football for me. So it's sort of semi-similar to having Tony Khan where he is and sort of backing that man 100%, even when the evidence isn't necessarily backing that up. Now, Tony seems to have done a better job with Fulham. Maybe that's because he's taken a step back. Who knows? That's all very much a grey area. Um, But in terms of Shad, I think, to try not to go into too many NFL um, specifics, I would say that the problem is that he is basing decisions on emotion and not logic and not necessarily relying on um, people who really know their stuff and relying on them to kind of help him make decisions. Um, and I think that he is an owner who has shown that he is willing to put money into his, uh, I mean, he's done something similar 
um, in Jacksonville that he's done with Craven Cottage. Um, you know, he's completely redeveloped the training ground over there. Um, it's state of the art. Um, a lot of the the places around um, the stadium in Jacksonville are, are fantastic. Down to him. But when it comes to things on the field, sometimes it's emotion driven. And that has, as I said earlier, ultimately led to several failures. Um, I think he needs to rely on people who really know their stuff and be the man with the money behind it. And he would be respected a lot more. Yeah, I mean, that's actually very fascinating to hear the selection process because from someone that doesn't really understand NFL, hearing those selection processes that Shade has gone through it just sounds so similar to how he selects his coaches. And every time now, there does seem to be a bit of a pattern of how he selects his coaches, particularly when he's got a bit of time to select his coaches. You heard about how Marcus Silva, um, he went over to Portugal and Marcus Silva gave a presentation. There was the infamous presentation that Claudio Ranieri did for um, uh, for Shade Khan as well, um, where he picked apart all of the goals that Fulham had conceded and showed Shade Khan how we wouldn't have conceded those goals with X, Y, and Z tactics. And then he somehow came in and we conceded just as many goals as we did under Slavisa Jokanovic. So I think the snake oil expression does seem to be personal, but hopefully in the case right now, we have been sold someone that is a good coach. I would guess from, from Marco Silva, but maybe that whole kind of come and give me a pitch thing isn't necessarily the way to run things, I would have imagined if I was knowledgeable enough or rich enough to be an owner or a GM, I would almost have made my mind up before I've met these people, whether you've got the job or not. I don't need to cut you to come and give me a PowerPoint presentation about how to defend goals. And it seems like maybe too much is being given on kind of personalities and whether you can win the room. I don't know. We don't know exactly how these selection things go on, but there does seem to be some similarities. And I guess that would be the, uh, the consistency across the the two ponds. But anyway, Steve, thank you for your question. Um, fascinating to hear um, about what is happening over in Jacksonville. And I think they are pertinent with the same, they're the same ownership. Like there definitely is similarities, even if the sports are wildly different as, uh, as Lydia mentioned, right. A couple more, slightly more silly questions just to finish the podcast. This one from Nathan says every Christmas, I get the same old question from my grandmother. How are Fulham doing? To which I always give the same old answer. Yeah, not too bad. And this year she gave me the exact same reply as she does every year. Fulham always do get better after Christmas though. Despite me doubting her football credentials, this does seem to be the case. Since we are at the midpoint in the season, how well do you think Fulham will do for the second half of the season? Um, or he says, though, I don't want Sammy to answer because he'll curse us for the rest of the season. So I'll stay out of this because I'm not allowed to answer according to Nathan. But yeah, how do we see the second half of the season going? Jack, I'll start with you as we uh, haven't heard from you during the NFL debate. <laughs> Again, hard to say. I'm sort of harping back to what I said earlier about this sort of the fact we've been off for for so long. Um, But if we get back into the swing of things, I think on paper we should finish in the top two, hopefully win the title at the Vitality Stadium in April. That would be fantastic. Should be top two. I'd I'd be very surprised. What What percentage would you put on it? Right, Fulham to finish in the top two, what percentage would you say in confidence that you have? Let's say you're one of these, I don't know, spread bookies or whatever, mm. and you had to, to give me a, a number. I want a number. I want an integer. Mm. I'd say 85%. And that's just down to the fact that Blackburn seem to be picking up this form that right now seems quite remarkable. And QPR yesterday, their performance at Birmingham, albeit Birmingham are very poor, was very good. And actually, the team I'm most concerned about is Middlesbrough because they yeah. genuinely are this new manager bounces that Chris Wilder has come in. And they and Chris Wilder has just completely picked up from, well, not from where he left off at Sheffield United, but in terms of in the championship, just running riot, really. And they are a team to fear. But I think there's so much quality in this squad. I think, yeah, I think we, I think we will go up. Yeah. Okay, uh, Lids. If I had to give you a percentage, what would you say? Um, just because I want to do something different from Jack, um, because I had eighty-five percent in my mind. Um, I ah. am going to go 
slightly more cautious and say 80%. Um, more because I think we had that spell in the first half of the season, which was absolutely ridiculous. Um, you know, scoring so many goals. We were, as much as a good team we are, um, some of the results we were pulling out were absolutely insane. Don't necessarily know if we can replicate that. But I do think we can um, sort of fix some of our mistakes. So, for example, the home game against Reading, um, that was awful. Um, a couple of other absolute howlers. And then that spell of five games we've just had that have been um, pretty turgid. Um, I think we can improve on that, but won't necessarily see the heights um, that, that we did consistently throughout the first half of the season. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think we'll finish top two. And as Jack says, hopefully as championship winners. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, ben, any any wild difference on the on the on the percentages or are you kind of in the 80 to 85% region as well? Yeah, still in that bracket, but I think that there's been a flurry of transfer activity already in the championship that is actually looking quite good. I think a lot of teams are making very positive um transfers. So I think uh the one that stuck out to me yesterday was that West Brom signed Daryl DK and then um Nottingham Forest signed Davis from Villa. And then I think there's just a just a couple of others. Obviously, Connolly's just gone to Borough as well from Brighton. And I yes. think that that's quite, that quite a nice transfer. I think there's just a few out here that are really, really going into the swing of getting transfers in quite quickly. And this is one thing that always bugs me about Fulham. And I understand why we do it, is that we wait too long to make good moves in the transfer market. And... Um, I think if we're not careful, our heels could get pinched by some of those clubs that Jack spoke about there, especially Borough. And I think that signing is great because I think there's one one or two holes in that Borough team. And one of them was definitely a striker that can put the ball in the back of the net. And Connolly can definitely do that. He's got raw pace and he definitely knows where the goal is. I think this year he's just been really unlucky that Brighton have looked pretty, you know, pretty good going forward. Um, and and that, the Daryl DK one for me is <clears throat> really interesting because I thought that in the summer, when he went back to Orlando, that that's someone that Fulham could potentially go and, go out and buy as like a backup or really nice competition for Mitrovic. And I actually had a few people in my mentions back when I was on Twitter, actually, um, saying that that wouldn't be a good move and he's not that good of a player. But actually, I thought for him to flourish in that Barnsley team that punched well above their weight last season, so that's a really good move for West Brom because they've looked like they've been short of, of goals as well. So, and at least the target man. So, yeah, I think that those are two really good transfers, and Fulham just need to to get in gear a little bit now. Yeah, um, it's a good point you mentioned over some of those transfers. I did notice particularly the Connolly one to to Middlesbrough. The one thing that's given me some hope over Middlesbrough, considering I do agree they do look good under Chris Wilder. If Fulham can win the two games in hand that we have over Middlesbrough, that's still a 12-point gap. That's a lot. That's a lot of ground for Borough to make up on a team. And if Fulham can just have an okay second half of the season, that's still an awful lot for, for, for them to make up. But we know what Chris Wilder can do. And that second half of the season he had when Chris uh, when uh, Sheffield United went up under him was, uh, was pretty sensational. Final email, and this is not really a question, uh, from Andrew, who says, I'm flying out to Melbourne uh, on New Year's Eve and I'll be staying for a few months. I want to watch all the games regardless. I know we have fans all around the globe and I'm going to be staying in Melbourne. So he was wondering if there are any Fulham fans in the Melbourne area of Australia that might want to watch the game with him. Um, feel free to tweet us or email us and we'll put you in contact with uh, with Andrew. But we're more than happy to do that. As I said, there's so many emails. Do you even get around to half of them today? We'll do more on Thursday. I will get through the backlog of them. Um, loving them coming through. Hello at fullamish.co.uk. Uh, thank you for listening today. Bit of New Year nonsense, really. Um, but hopefully we'll get back to slightly more routine podcasts uh, shortly. Uh, I think there'll be a Thursday club with myself, Jack and Peter later in the week. So uh, keep your uh, eyes peeled on the, on the podcast store for that one. Final request. If you're on Spotify and you listen to us on there, please, could you give us a star rating? Um, it's very simple. You don't even need to write anything. You literally just need to click on the little 
star button that's under where it says Fulhamish and uh, ideally five stars. If you're not going to give us five stars and just don't bother, maybe just keep it to yourself. But if you'd like to give us five stars, then uh, we'd um, we'd absolutely love to uh, get a few more ratings on Spotify as that's a bit of a new thing. And ratings anyway. If you listen on Apple, we can always do with a podcast review or rating on there as well. So yeah, thank you very much for listening today and thank you for my guest, Jack Kelly. Thank you, Sammy. Lydia Campbell. Thanks, guys. And Ben Jarman. Thanks, guys. I'll leave you with one nugget, which is if you are going to rate us on Spotify, your app may need to be updated before you do it. Oh, yes. Mm. Thank you very much. No um, tech inspiration and tactics expert, Ben Jarman. <laughs> He's going to go get himself a job at PC World now. Right. Thank you for listening. Have a good start to your new year and we'll see you later in the week. Come on, you guys. Yeah.